mercy and your grace. And that, Father, those of us who know you as our Lord and our Savior, as our Father, as our Redeemer, that, God, in being drawn into this moment, that, God, we would be reminded that if today were to be our last day, that it would be also be our best day. But, God, if you would cause us to tarry, if it be just for a little while, then, God, would you send us out into this world by your blessing to be a blessing to others? And that, God, if there is someone in this place who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, who does not know what it means to bless you or to be blessed by you, who doesn't understand or hasn't come to faith in you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be their day of salvation before it's eternally too late. And that they, like Brandon, would come. They would confess their sin. They would trust in you as Christ, as Lord, as Savior. They would be obedient in baptism and that they would be willing to live the rest of their life for your glory. Bless us now as we are gathered. May we be drawn to you, and may you be blessed by all that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So the first thing I want us to notice, and this is going to sound odd to some of you, but the first thing I want you to know is we have a blessing to the Lord. A blessing to to the Lord. The psalmist begins as, by the way, as he did in Psalm 133, it's almost as though the psalmist is coming to this culmination, right? And here he is in Psalm 133, he said, behold. A matter of fact, if you go to Psalm 132, he starts out by saying, remember, and now he said, behold, and again he says, behold. Behold. It draws our attention back to the idea and the end of this journey. To awaken the hearts of the singer here is, the, is, is important in our reality. It comes with the idea of, hey, be on guard, be alert, be aware, behold. He's calling our attention to something. And what is it that he is calling our attention to? He is calling our attention to this, that as we gather, we are to what? Bless the Lord. The verb bless here, by the way, is an imperative. It is a command. It's, it's the singer commanding to his people to bless the Lord. It comes from the idea of kneeling or adoring. You see, this idea of blessing is difficult for our modern day wording. It's difficult for us to understand when it comes to what, what all the Hebrew ideas come I, in, in, in this one simple word for us to bless. You see, we speak about blessing people. So then when it comes to blessing God, we often discover ourselves asking, well, what am I going to give God? What can I possibly have to offer to God to, in order to bless Him? Well, you know, in one sense, there is truth to this, that we bless God by returning to Him what is rightfully due to Him. That's what you're going to give Him. You're going to give Him His due. When we come before God, there's something good and right in us coming to bless God by returning to Him what He deserves. But in another sense, we can, never, can we ever give anything to God that He doesn't already possess? That becomes a question. You know, this is the paradox of us coming to bless the God. We're sitting here going, well, what can we give Him that He doesn't already have? Pastor, I get it that we're supposed to give Him what He deserves, but He's already got what He deserves, so aren't we? Isn't this a lame redundancy? And ladies and gentlemen, this is where the biblical theology of blessing God comes into zoom. And it comes into focus. How are we to bless God? 
We are to bless God when we acknowledge blessing God is acknowledging and adoring all that He is. That's how we bless God. We come and we acknowledge and we adore all that He is. All that He is and all that He has done. You see, God, how God blesses man is different in kind <coughs> excuse me, to how man blesses God. How God blesses man is different in kind to how man blesses God. You see, when God blesses man, or even, even when we bless one another, have you ever wanted to be a blessing? We often talk about this in our missional community. We want to be a blessing to those around us. You see, how God blesses us, or even how we bless others, is different. Because we are given, or we are giving others, what they, have, what they don't have, and not for necessarily who they are. Right? We have been blessed by God, not because of what we had. And it definitely we haven't been blessed because of who we are. Like, as though we deserve it. And often, we are called to bless people, as a matter of fact, in the Scriptures, despite who they are. Bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies. So, I'm coming to this going, and when I struggled with this, and I wrestled with this over the last few weeks, I was going, well, how, how do I, as a mere mortal, a mere man who doesn't deserve God's blessing, how am I going to bless the Lord? I remember about... 20, 25 years ago, I was, uh, well, it's a little bit longer than that now. I'm a little older than I thought I was. Um, but it was, a, it was a long time ago when I was fairly new to belief, and somebody come and they said, well, bless the Lord. And I remember telling them, well, you don't have to bless the Lord. And they said, well, that's what the Bible tells me to do. And I was like, oh, well, what does that mean? And I wrestled with it. How am I, a mere mortal, going to come and bless the Lord? You see, for us to bless God, we are blessing Him for who He already is and what He has already done and what He has already graciously revealed and what He has already promised that He will one day do. That's how we bless the Lord. The rightful adoration and praise and thanksgiving to God for all He is and all He's done and all He will do. That's how we bless God. We are not coming to God to bless Him because we have something to bring to Him. No, here's the, tr here's the interesting. We are blessing Him because He has already blessed us. It's giving Him back His due. So I want you to be on guard. I want you to be on guard this week. I want you to think about this in this very moment. Behold, bless the Lord. Praise Him. Worship Him. Raise a hallelujah. He's a good God. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the scars, in the midst of the funerals, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of all that you're going, in the midst of the diagnosis, in the midst of the hospital visits, in the midst of everything that we're going through, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord. One commentator stated it like this, Do not stand there like statues, silent and idle, but employ your hearts and tongues in singing forth the praises of the Lord. Our family was gathered around this week and we were mourning the loss of Johnny. And we were sitting there talking about all the things that we've done. But you've got to understand something. This boy wasn't given days to live. 
He has a heart defect called Trichology of Fallot, which is a heart disease, and he had a hole in his heart. He wasn't given days to live, much less weeks. And then when he lived a few weeks, he wasn't given months. He lived a few months and he wasn't given years. And for 38 years, God blessed us. Now you have a choice to make, church. You have a choice to look at that, the, the, the abbreviated 38 years and say, man, we wish we had more. Or you have the ability to come before God and bless Him for the 38 years of grace and mercy that He gave. You see, you see, it's changing your heart. It changes the way you see life. And it changes the way you see death. And if you don't know what that means, you can come tomorrow and hear a sermon on it. But I want you to know, church, we are to bless the Lord. Behold, bless the Lord. And not only are we to bless the Lord, who is to be on guard? Who, just to make sure you understand, who is to give God adoration He deserves? You see, what we've done in our, con- 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 uh, in our congregation, in our culture, we expect everybody just to bless the Lord, to praise Him. We are, we, are, we are amazed when people don't celebrate Christmas right. We are amazed when people are more interested in, in bunnies and stuff like that on Easter than they are in the resurrection of Jesus. Don't be amazed. The lost were never called to bless the Lord although he deserves their blessing and he will one day get it you hear me he deserves their blessing and he will one day get it who does the Bible declare is called to bless him it is the servants of the Lord did you see that all servants of the Lord the servants are referring to those priests those Levites who are involved in the temple worship These temple servants who serve by day and by night in the house of God. You see, servants lived in the temple and they're engaged in the work day and night. You can read about their duties in the temple in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, which I I think is very significant since we have been traveling there. Since we have been traveling to this temple and now we finally arrived, if you go back and you read 1 Chronicles 25, you can see their duties. But I want you to know that these servants preceded the temple. I want you to, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. You see, they were called to attend the sanctuary and guard the holy things. Why were these priests called to guard the holy things and attend to the sanctuary? So that, so that they would not be profaned or they not, would not be plundered or the ark would not be messed with. Because where was the ark uh, located at that time in Deuteronomy? In tents. And if they were going to be located in tents, we can appreciate the need for such correction and protection. But after the ark had rested, David then gives them new responsibility now inside the temple, and that's where we come to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Chronicles, excuse me. It was their duty day and night to stand before God to minister and to bless him. Oh, I'm going to get to the night watchers here in just a second, but let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, who are the priests of the Lord today? We no longer have priests by which we go to a man in which he is separated. We believe in the priesthood of believers. You and I are the priest. We live in the presence of God every day. Day. We live in the recognition of his, of his resurrection. We live in the recognition of His sacrifice. We live like that every day. Behold, priests. Behold, priests. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are in His presence. That's who we are. 
So why does the servant say by night in the house of the Lord? Why is he going specifically? First he says, behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. So that's all of us who serve by night in the house of the Lord. So all these servants and those who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Now it may may very well be that because at night service comes greater awareness. Hence the reason, the call to be alert with behold. It's in the night that you need to be aware because oftentimes the light, the sun is not shining in that moment. And it's in, the night that you, it's in the night that you must praise Him. It's in the night that you must bless Him. It's in the very night that you are required to do that because you can't see what's around you, but you're still to bless Him. Oh, church, I can preach. Because often it's in the night of life that we are in need of being called to be alert, yes? Because sorrow comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. You see, we are called as His people to worship and to praise Him. Often it was the dangers and the threats that come with the night. You know what else comes with the night? Jay's mom and dad. Dad was sitting on the back porch last night. And he said, you know, you know one of the things that has really bothered me? I said, what's that? He said, it's so quiet here. Have you ever been in those moments of night? Where it's so quiet, so silent. And you don't seem to have anything around you but the dampening darkness of night there's no sound i can't tell you how many times i've told my students over across the street i've told my kids this many times take hold on (laughs) i gotta make this right right my own kids take your earphones out i have a little bit more to say than that but usually it's somewhere around take your earphones out (laughs) sit in silence You would be shocked at how much your brain does when you sit in silence, how much God speaks to you when you sit in silence. You see, we are inundated with noise. We have radios. We have earphones. We have iPods. We have all these things. And I think one of the greatest threats to the American church is we're, con- we're, we're constipated. We're constipated with noise. We, we have all this feeling our brains and noise and noise and noise. But when then, then when silence really comes, we don't know how to deal with it because we're so not used to it because we're so used to filling the space with sound. Silence comes in the night. Doesn't it? You ever been laying in your bed and you can't breathe because the silence is so thick? And here, it is the call of the priest that when, when the praises of God from everyone else is silenced, that you would be alert and you would praise Him. <laughs> That's good. 
when nobody else can praise him in the silence, the voice of the priest is to praise him. One author said it like this, quote, It is comparatively easy to bless the Lord in the daytime when sunshine lies like his smile on nature and all the world is full of music and our lives flow on quietly and peacefully. It does not take much to grace to bless the Lord then, but when night has draped the earth and hushed the homes of men to solitude, and we stand amid the shadows that lurk around us in the sanctuary, facing the inexplicable mysteries of providence, of history, of life, and of death. Then the song falters on our lips and chokes our utterance. Let those who have breath praise the Lord. These servants had the distinct privilege to dwell in the house of the Lord and to be continually in his presence, to participate in his work, to attain special privileges and blessings for their service. So it would be their responsibility to redeem the time and the blessing of the Lord. Church, I want you to know that one of the things that has been on my heart for weeks, 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 and, and Rick and uh, Jeremy can validate this um, in my heart, I want us to be a singing people. I want us to behold and I want us to bless the Lord. Let the culture that we have, man, those are some singing people. They are joyful and they just sing. We might not sing well, but we sang. And we're going to bless God because he is good. So we are told that we are to bless. That's the command. We are told who is to bless. That's all the servants of the Lord, particularly those who are in the night. And then we are told how they do it in verse 2. Uh-huh. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lift up our hands. Now listen to me, it's not the only posture of prayer in the Bible. And I would never claim that it is. But it is a posture of prayer in the Bible. And that I will proclaim it is. And I think we can see this clearly throughout the whole entirety of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but lifting up your hands in prayers to God, that was the common posture of the Hebrew. This was the common posture of of God's people, of God's men back in the day. This was their common posture, to lift up their hands and to praise the Lord. A posture that displayed the grateful anticipation of receiving and the simultaneous recognition of surrendering to that which is greater than yourself. Now, some of you may ask, what's the big deal? Whether you kneel, whether you stand, whether you sit, whether you raise your hand, drop your hands, whatever you do, whether you cross your arms, whether you lift your arms, whatever you do, what's the big deal with all this posturing, Pastor? Who cares? Well, apparently God does. And that's enough for me. But why? Why, ladies and gentlemen? Here's why. Because often our external posture is the picture of our internal reality. Our external posture, it it combines the physical with the spiritual. 
Have you ever prostrated yourself before God? Laid on your face before Him because you know you can't get any lower than on your face? You see, it's not necessary for you to lay and prostrate yourself. It's not necessary for that to happen. Oh, but it is good and right. Why? Because it's displaying your posture. You ever got on your knees begging God for help? It's not necessary for you to get on your knees begging God for help, but it is a right posture for you to get on your knees and begging God for help. Do you ever lift your hands and praise to God? It's not necessary. I can't force you to do it. Oh, but it is a posture of God's people to raise their hands, specifically men. Specifically men. That's what Paul would tell Timothy. Lift your hands. Men, lift your hands. We in the West have in large part abandoned any sort of physical positioning largely out of what I believe. What I believe, the reason we have abandoned that is out of fear and pride. We are scared of what people are going to, the person next to us are going to think, or we're too prideful to lift our hands to a holy God. I ain't. I ain't got nothing left, yo. And trust me, there are days that I have nothing left. And all I can do is just lift my hands and say, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. I have, I am yours, I am here. It's almost like, it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, I was watching a movie the other day. It's irrelevant what the movie was, but I was watching this movie and and uh, there was a violent scene, you know, probably shouldn't have watched that scene, but there was a violent scene and this helicopter was flying over this river and this lady got out like this and she had just got through all this struggle and she was there and she was doing this. What was she doing? She was trying to get the attention of the helicopter that flew over so that they would see and recognize and identify. That's, that's it. Oh, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. God, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you see me in the night? God, I stand before you and I know I am in need. Are you there? God, do you see me? For those of you who have been to a prayer meeting, there are certain times in our prayer meeting and our prayer gathering that I will tell and instruct our men, if you are able and capable, will you please raise your hand as we pray before God. I remember the first time I did it in the first Wednesday this year, you saw this hesitation. <laughs> it's gotten better now. Now you see men kind of, kind of, but before it was like, are we all doing this or is he just, is he just, is he weird? I had a man come up to me after our first prayer gathering when I called men to lift their hands. And he said this to me, you know, I've been in church for f over 50 years and I had never been asked to lift my hands in prayer. And some of you may say, do you even have the right? Do you even have the right to ask men to lift their hands in prayer? Uh, Paul did. The psalmist does. Men, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in the presence of God. Women, lift up your hands. All of you servants, lift up your hands, for in the presence of, uh, in the pres this is where the presence of God dwells. And may the lifting of your hands 
be the physical posture of your heart as you raise your voice to his glory and his goodness and his greatness and his grace. This is multisensory worship. Do you understand that? This is multisensory worship. Multisensory worship is not this idea that we've got to get you to feel something in order for you to worship. No, multisensory worship is you using all your senses in your worship. And the truth is, is that we are formed by these postures as we are forming these postures. These are the servants of the Lord who serve the Lord in His sanctuary, and they are called in light of all their work to bless Him and praise Him. Spurgeon would say it like this, not one of, quote, not one of you should serve Him as of compulsion, but all should bless Him while you serve Him. Yea, bless Him for permitting you to serve Him. Listen to this, Spurgeon. He's so good. Bless Him for permitting you to serve Him, fitting you to serve Him, and accepting your servants of Him. Isn't that good? That is good. That is good. So watch, we come in, and first we have a blessing to the Lord, and then lastly, I want you to notice, secondly, we have a blessing from the Lord, verse 3. A blessing from the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. You see, this is the natural response of those who have blessed God. It is, that, it is that desire not only to bless Him, but to be blessed by Him. Now this seems to be a response of the priests, of those who have journeyed. It seems to be the response of the priest to those who have journeyed on this journey and are now coming to bless God, and now the priests are coming back and saying, May the Lord bless you. Oh, church, get this. It is a good and biblically true desire to desire the blessing of God. I want God's blessing. Do you hear me? I want it. Oh, I want it. I want to experience it. All that encompasses the blessing. And by the way, all that encompasses the blessing from Zion, from Jehovah. Why from Zion? This is the glorious close to a section of songs meant to be sung while traveling to Zion. And now they are going to be traveling from Zion. They have finally made it. And now they're going to be sent away. We have traveled to Zion, blessing God. And now we are departing from Zion, blessing God. And by the way, it is the Lord God, the God of the covenantal promise that He has made to His people that He will be, that we will be redeemed and we will be restored to Him. Because those whom He blesses are blessed indeed. As we seek His blessings, we are reminded that He, Jehovah, is not limited by capacity. For the Lord, our God of the God of the covenant, our God whose name here is Jehovah, may the Lord bless you from Zion. But let me remind you, He is not only the Lord of the covenant, but He's also Lord of all creation, of heaven and earth. He's not only the Lord who comes... Y'all remember when we started? Remember when we started way back when I said this? He is not only the Lord who comes near, but He is also the Lord who is out there. He is not only the Lord who is over all things, but He's also the Lord who is over me. This is the beauty. This is the beauty. And the only limitations to God's blessing is His will. 
And here they are beckoning God for His blessing on us all. You see, the heart of a person who desires the blessing of God to fall upon us all. A man or a woman who has received the blessing of God will be a man or a woman who asks not for the mere blessing upon themselves, but for the blessing upon all of those around them. That is why the health, wealth, and prosperity nonsense is so terrible. Because it becomes all about me. Oh God, bless me. Oh, God, do this for me. Oh, God, it's all about me. When you forget you have been saved to be a part of a community of people, you have been saved to be a part of a new family. You have been saved alone, but not to be alone. We ought to desire the blessing of everyone. And you ought not to be envious or covetous of those who God has decided to bless based upon His will. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever said it in your heart? Why is God blessing them and not us? Here, let me tell you why. You ready? You might want to write this down for those of you taking notes. You ready? This is good. If those of you don't taking notes, I think you can put it in your memory. It's not that bad. It's not that hard. Few words. None of your business. That's why. Uh-huh. Yeah, none of your business. That's God's business. God will bless who He wants to bless. You know what? There have been many men and many women who have come and blessed me because of the blessing they have been given. There have been many times I've been able to bless others because of the blessing. You don't know what God's up to. You praise God for Him blessing His people. We praise God for it. The truth that God blessing others, and this is, this is the key, right? This is the key. This is the key that turns that switch. Because oftentimes when you see God blessing others, you think that that reduces His capacity to bless you. That though now His resources have been somewhat diminished, because you know what? He gave somebody else something that He didn't give you, so He must have diminished His resources. As though God only has a hundred cattle on a hill, and because He gave a couple of cattle over here, now He only has 98, and if I don't give, have you ever worked with people in poverty like that? And boy, if I don't get some of that 98, I ain't going to get nothing. I better get all I can and can all I get. Y'all hear me? I've been there. I know. I've been through that lifestyle. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth that God blessing others isn't a reduction in resources. It isn't a reduction of God's capacity for Him to bless me. For He owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He, it's not Him removing resources. He is abundantly provided for. It reminds me of the blessing that we find in, in number six. We have said this a hundred times here in our church. Okay, maybe a hundred a little bit much, but it's, we've said it a lot. Number six, do you remember this? Number six, verses 22. It's the blessing of God. The benediction, Aaron's benediction, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. And you should say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give, give you peace. So, shall, uh, so they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will and I then will bless them. This was what? A priestly blessing to the people. And notice the word here in Psalms is you, the singular, which is also used in number six. The blessing of God to us is as a community and to us as individuals. 
You see, God loves each of us as his children, and he loves all of us as his children, and he blesses each of us as his children, and because he does that, he therefore blesses all of us as his children. You're talking about going from pessimism to optimism. you talk about going from negativity to positivity. You're talking about going from a, an idea of a, a, a non-abundance to abundance. That's the way we look at it. The idea that if we bless God and we will be blessed by God. Is this not the answer to the question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God in what? To enjoy Him forever? To bless Him for who He is and be blessed by Him because of who He is? To glorify God and to enjoy Him? The fact that because we glorify Him, we are able to enjoy Him? And the unusual part of this psalm, when you go back and you read it, is that there is no cause of blessing. Notice that. May the Lord bless you from Zion. There is no cause. May the Lord bless you if. In this psalm, what he's doing is he's calling his people, his priest out to bless the people of God. He's calling them to bless them. There is no cause. It's just a plea of God to bless his people from who he is as the covenant creator God. So there seems to be an indication here that we have the priest invoking the Lord's blessing on the pilgrims who are now leaving the temple to return to their home. And as they have traveled to the place where the Lord is worshipped, they will now depart with the blessing the Lord gives to those who worship him. So you may be going, hey, what does all this have to do with us? Man, we've been on a journey, haven't we? Been on a journey through this entire book, through these entire chapters. And I've been holding this passage for as long as I can. Can't hold it no more. That's good because we're coming to the end of the journey. What does it mean for us as the beloved children of God in this moment? We ain't going to no temple. We ain't going to Zion. Uh, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even if a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. Here it is. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled to heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to, and to, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. 
See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth and then and now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake it, not only the earth but also heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We have come to Zion in Christ. For Christ is our mediator of the new covenant, who said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, we are a royal priesthood. So faith family, we join with all of the redeemed, gathering in anticipation of the day when we will share in the celebration. Will you and I will come together and we will be able to join with our beloved who have gone before us. And you and I will be able to say, and after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And after these things, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count. Are you listening, church? From every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and all around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to them, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. And they will serve Him day and night in His temple. Did you hear me, church? And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And they will hunger no longer, nor thirst no more. And the sun will beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Oh, raise a hallelujah. Amen. Praise be to God. That's what we're going to do one day. We are going to have the privilege of sitting around the throne of God and we are going to run out of words to say like John did. You notice he ran out of words. It was like he said, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. I can't say enough. I just got to keep on going. And, but until that day, 
until that day, we will look back in remembrance. We will look up in communion. We will look around in fellowship. And we will look forward to the day when before His throne, the family will gather and share in it all together. We will look forward to that day when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and he says, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. We are made priests of God, servants of the Lord. We have the privilege now to enter into the most holy place, the presence of God, day and night. May we bless the Lord. May we adore Him for who He is and what He has done. And may we lift up our hands in prayer and praise. Behold! Take note. We are in God's presence. As God's people. Through God's Son. So let us conduct ourselves as though it is true. For we are truly a blessed people now and forevermore. For on the day when we come face to face with Him and our journey is over, we will be blessed, we will bless the Lord and be blessed by Him forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you please rise to your feet in preparation preparing our hearts to now come before our God to participate in His Supper. You know, they were going to Zion to participate, and here we are participating in this Supper as a picture, as a picture of all that God has done. We will gather with Him. We will meet with Him here in a very special, very unique way to be reminded of all that He's done, preparing us for that day in which we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, that great day. (laughs) Oh, there will be a buffet. Where all of your friends that have gone before you in the Lord are there. All of your family. Johnny is there. All of your family who knew Jesus is there. Can I ask you this? Can I ask you this with all of the heart? The passion that I have in me right now is none other. None other than the passion of redemption because I know death is nigh. Do you know? Oh, do you know that you're His child? Do you know that if today were to be your last, that you would raise standing before God in Christ? And He would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You may now enter into the joy of your salvation. Or, or will he say to you, if today were your last, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I don't know where you are this morning. Other than the profession of your testimony, I know where some of you proclaim to be. But only you know right here. And I do know this, I do know this. That the man that stands before you, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. So what we're going to do in the next few moments, listen, if you're not in Christ, I want to call you to be saved. I want to call you to salvation. For Christ 
in God has blessed us in Christ for he is our true Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord. If you are not in Jesus, I would call you to repent and confess your sin and come to him. Follow through in a believer's baptism, which he commands of you to do. But if you have not believed in Jesus, then I'm going to ask you not to participate in this table. Not because we don't want you to. I just invited you. It's because you have pushed away. You have pushed away. I want you to be a part of the table. And for those of you who are in Christ and you're a part of another community somewhere and you want to participate, I want to welcome you and I want you to come and participate. If you are a believer in Jesus, you can participate in the supper. Before we do that, we're going to go before our great God and King in silent prayer. We're going to go before Him reminding ourselves of the message that we've just heard. And we're going to confess our sins to God, asking Him to draw us to Himself. And we're going to ask for Him to do the work in us that only He can do so that when we come to this table, it's not in an unworthy manner. So church, every head bowed and every eye closed, let us go before our great God and King, preparing our hearts for this supper. Let us pray.